0: Listening to Inclusive AF with Jackie Clayton and Katie Van Horn. Good morning, Jackie. Oh, good morning, Katie. How are you? I'm good. Uh, Happy Super Bowl Monday. What do you even call that? (laughs)
1: <laughs> we're done with football for like seven minutes is what I, I, hate <laughs> I did like there were a bunch of ads during the super bowl that were like don't worry football's back in like five weeks and i'm like
0: <gasps> my personal favorite ad was the inner trauma i felt by the jesus ad okay that was the one that i was <laughs> just like it were all these people yelling at each other's face and then it was like jesus likes all of us and i was like okay there's yes. so many there's no. so many like when is the trauma gonna stop and i was like oh jesus like i was like this is like so that happened and rihanna's pregnant blessing yes yes right yes and we are blessed and and for those of you who are just joining us this is the inclusive af podcast yes. oh yeah yes yes um, so I'm sorry, but I do want to
1: say my favorite, my actual favorite was the um the flag football.
0: I, I loved football, the but, flag football, which I think was women, that was yeah. great.
1: And then like she goes to like hug her mom in the kitchen and then her mom oh. tries to steal her flags too. <laughs> yes. That one I like I laughed out loud, so that was a good one. But anyhow, all right. This is the inclusive AF podcast, and we have an amazing guest today. And um, so we're just going to jump right in on this fine Monday morning. Um, I mean, you all will be listening to it on Wednesday, but it is Monday for us. Um, So Aurora, thank you so much for joining us. would love for you to introduce yourself.
2: Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Um, Hi, everyone. My name is Aurora Higgs. My pronouns are she, her and they, them. I am a lot of things, a mess, chaotic. Um, (laughs) I am also uh, an activist and an advocate because, um, well, because it's the right thing to do, but also because I am a Black trans non-binary femme in um, the former capital of the Confederacy here in the Southern United States, Richmond, Virginia, um, which means that uh, there's a lot to do in uh, terms of um, fostering equity and trying to dismantle uh, oppressive systems. And so there are, um, that's always something I'm trying to do for myself, for people who came before me, people who come after me. And, um, but I'm also not a martyr, right? I am a burlesque performer. I am, um, an artist. I am, Um, I saw your, I saw your face, Katie, when I said burlesque reformer, I I love doing burlesque. Let's
0: discuss.
2: (laughs) I'm also a scholar for LGBTQIA plus things. And I'm going to talk, I actually later this month, I'm talking about, um, how burlesque is a really great way to, um, find liberation. If you're as oppressed as, you know, someone like me being black, trans, being neurodivergent, and then also I have a mural in Richmond, Virginia, and there is going to be an exhibit that I'm gonna be speaking out with the artists. Uh, I'm gonna be on a beer can, a limited edition beer can. What? I live in a brewery town. And so that's the kind of thing we do in Richmond, Virginia. And I absolutely love it and so thankful for the support of my hometown. So that's a little bit about me.
0: That's awesome. I love that. There's so many, there was a lot of very cool things. And in reading your bio, I think it's, very i mean like you said there is a lot of work uh, a lot of work to do but we're lucky that there are people like you and sharing some of your um experiences and i want to come when you get the beer can
2: we'll come you know what and it's it's limited edition at the opening of the exhibit only and so now i've been tasked by so many people to get my hands on as many of those beer cans as possible yes so i will try my best i let
0: us know when the opening is if it's this week we'll be there
2: we'll be there it's the 17th at the virginia history of museum and culture for those if this comes out in time for anyone who's listening and you want to come it is a ticketed event. Um, but you know, let me know, maybe there's something we can do. I just saying, but yeah, (laughs)
1: I'll make it work. We'll make it work. Um, okay. So I like, yeah, I'm like, I don't even know where to dive in right now. Okay. So tell us a little bit about, um, kind of your, uh, your coming out story. So, you know, when did you kind of realize what, you know, what were the the moments that were kind of impactful for you?
2: Yeah. Um, good question. Um, it's an interesting story because I had to come out multiple times, as a lot of trans people um, do. And um, I came out to my parents. I was socialized as male, assigned male at birth uh, for anyone who's listening and, you know, kind of confused by what I mean when I say non-binary trans femme. Uh, it means that I uh, was assigned male at birth, socialized as male, identified as male for most of my life, and then um, transitioned um, and sort of identifying as a woman. And then at that after that point, I was um, felt like, oh, I don't really want to live uh, with the gender role expectations that we put on women. And so like, I want to be my own um, kind of entity. And so But uh, my coming out story started, uh, I was seven years old and I came out to my parents as gay. And uh, I have really amazing parents. They are so loving and accepting by default. Um, And so I was taking the trash out and right before I walked out the door, I just yelled upstairs to my dad. And I was like, hey dad. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, I'm gay. And just like, matter of fact, then I walked out to to go take the trash out and the reason why i did it that way i think is because i just i was in school you know i'm seven i'm in like first or second grade um i don't know children's ages in schools anymore um and i just gained the language for what it means for a, a boy to be attracted to other boys and i had little crushes even though this was like really young i had little crushes i loved me some brad pitt um growing up in the 90s uh i am a millennial born in 1990 and so that's uh gives a little bit about the some of the background of like you know uh what was going on around that time um and so that also means that i grew up on like the tail end of the aids epidemic and so a lot of that messaging was still there and so when i found out the word for gay I'm really lucky that I got a very neutral definition. It was not editorialized. It was just they were just like, "Oh, it's like when boys like other boys." And I was like, "Oh, that's that pretty much describes me." And so, um, I yelled it up to my dad because I just found that and to me it had no real gravity. It was just like saying, "Hey, my hair is like black and I have brown eyes." Like it was just that for me. And so, My dad was very much he was like stunned. Um, They knew, though, because I was the most effeminate, flamboyant uh, child ever. And so they had an inkling. But um, yeah, my dad was like, "Okay, well, uh, let's let's wait till your mom gets home. Let's talk to her about that. Just and then um, th- we decided that um, when I turned 13, I would kind of revisit and see because they were just like, you just never know how things will kind of pan out with puberty. But if that's the case, fine. And so uh was still gay and at 13 uh, and um, and yeah, so I um, identified as male, was happy to do so somewhere around teenage years. I kind of drank the Kool-Aid of like. Oh, like I'm a I want to be like as masculine as possible, even if I'm like queer, because we have a lot of politics in the gay community around masculinity and femininity, and it's it's a lot to unwrap um, there. But um, but yeah, I I did that, and then somewhere around 23, I kind of started becoming a little bit like, oh, I think I want to do drag and then at 25 i was sort of like okay i don't really want to do drag as much i want to wear the makeup and maybe identify as genderqueer um and then at uh around 28 my parents we were in a car one time and my parents said hey it's curious are you you're wearing like makeup and presenting as femme a lot more and you're not really performing so like just curious if you're like a trans woman and i remember turning to them and saying i think i know if i were trans y'all um like thanks i appreciate it but like and uh it goes to show parents know best because it was like less than a year after i was identifying as a trans woman and uh transitioned at 28 medically and publicly um although i want to iterate that you do not need to transition medically or publicly to identify as trans if you if you are trans and you know it in your body and your in your being. You are trans, or no other qualification. So I don't. I know I felt like an imposter a little bit, uh, but you don't have to. It's it's that simple. And yeah, I've been living my life publicly and um, visibly and quite loudly since then.
0: Thank awesome. you, thank you so much for sharing that. It is it's mm. it's funny and listening to your story because things have changed. I'm so glad that people have gotten stop trying to live their life so binary um and i I remember flash forward um my son who i call sweet baby tj he was three years old and he came home and he was like mommy boys love girls and girls love boys and i said okay and he goes but mommy some boys love other boys and some girls love other girls and i was like oh really and he was like "Mm mm-hmm like it wasn't even a word He didn't need to have the word. Right. And it was accepting like, sweet. Right. I mean, he was born in 2003 and even um, my oldest identifies as a non-binary. And when recently said y'all are probably non-binary or at least queer. And we're all like this was nothing that we would ever consider even thinking about. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad that there have been more safe spaces for people to enjoy and you do have great parents so go hug and love on them as you know the next time you have the opportunity
2: i sweet first of all big props to sweet baby tj for (laughs) uh, being so worldly and so wise so young um and i completely agree i think you know, I I don't want people to kind of get up in arms about this. But I think that if we didn't have any um, social politics around gender or sexuality, a lot more of us would identify as someone in between the lines, you know, the Kinsey scale tells us that uh, human sexuality is a spectrum and very few people, it's like kind of like a bell curve, very few people fall on either end of it um, as a zero or seven. And so I just, I'm always striving for a world where people have the truest freedom even um not just from society but from themselves sometimes we carry our own kind of self-hate or self um kind of doubt mm-hmm. and i'm i'm striving for a world uh where people don't have to negotiate with society just to feel and present as authentically as they can i love
1: that I, you know and i i think that's something that you know we've had a a few speakers, and I'm, I'm thinking about our one of our last conversations with Eli, and you know, it, uh, Eli identifies as uh, two spirited, and so like it is. There are so many pieces to this puzzle, and I think that the piece that everyone gets so stuck on is exactly what you're saying. It's the it has to be this or that. It right. has it has to be completely black or white, no gray whatsoever. And I think the gray is where people get so just like whatever I don't even know what like they just don't know how to handle that and it's fascinating because it's like it's okay <laughs> you yeah. don't have to know every po- every piece that's of the puzzle right. like if people are happy in their skin that's actually what matters
2: <laughs> yeah i think the gray represents uncertainty and the unknown and i think the mm-hmm. human brain can be really afraid of like what's not known or what's not charted um but i i'm the living uh proof that you can be um you can be Black and white. I'm literally, uh, I, I'm bi ethnically biracial, I identify um, racially as Black, but I mean, duality has always been a part of my life. I've always known that in a world that, that acts like Black is here and white is here and there's no in-between, that I've always lived in the in-between. And so that's just something I've carried with me ever since I was a kid, and I'm so thankful to my upbringing for that. Mm-hmm. Well, I want you to know,
0: as you're going into these different spaces in consulting, what do you see come up um, more and more that you're having to kind of discuss or that your clients hire you to come in to, dis- to discuss? What kind of things, um, topics seem to be a regular
2: theme? Yeah, absolutely. So, um I am a a speaker, a performer, keynote. I do things like that. Um and I'm also the VP of a consulting company in Seattle. Um and so uh every nothing I say here is representative of that uh, uh you know the views and um ideas of the uh, my full-time work over at um Human Inc, but um in my community work that I like to do, um, you know, as, as Aurora, it is really around creating, um, opportunities for learning, compassion and empathy is what I strive for. Now when folks come to me, they just know that they, they know that they don't know a lot. And that's that's step one, is understand that you don't know everything and try to understand what it is that you don't understand or try to understand that you don't, do not understand. And so oftentimes people um, are just like, hey, we'd just love for you to come in and just talk to us about inclusion. I've done um, work for uh, Legal Aid Justice Center. I've done work for the uh, my State Department for um health, uh, health professionals, um, uh, be, uh, the state department for disability, I'm sorry, uh, behavior and development. Um, and folks are just wanting right now. It seems to have somebody who is not a trauma story, who is willing to um, teach other people because as people on the margins, it's not our job necessarily to teach others. And it is my job as somebody who has a degree in, uh, in education and leadership studies, and it's something I've opted into. And so this is my life path. Um, I love what I do both, uh, at the consulting firm and, um, doing the work that I do in communities. Uh, leading marches, Um, I do a lot of mutual aid through my social media uh, presence because that is, you can, I just, there's a lot of things we think big ideas and we think like really big scale, but there's so much that you can do in your immediate network. There are people who live next door to you, so that need help. And so you don't necessarily have to ask yourself, what can I do for the person all the way across the world, but rather, what can I do for the person next to me, for the person who it works in my workplace with me, and so I like to do a lot of education around workplace inclusion, um, a lot of motivational talks for um, LGBTQIA+ youth. Um, yeah, I, I am really just somebody who lives my life as an open book, which can be really uh, dangerous as a Black trans femme in the South. And it's still just—it's my passion. I—I I couldn't live a close life even if i wanted to i'm just not that person i'm big bright and outgoing and i uh love education um so yeah people really don't really know all the time and that that's okay you don't have to know sometimes it's about starting the conversation with people to gain ideas or to um solicit ideas from your workplace and um yeah i I think right now um because it's black history month a lot of people are really interested in um understanding how um what black queer joy looks like in in a um, landscape where we the most that we know black about black trans people is trauma is um some of the challenges and barriers facing us but folks don't realize that there are things that our community does better than most, just like every community's kind of got their specialty. And one of the things that we do really well is caretaking. We, um, do, uh, um, family, um, really well. There's a lot of mothering in the community. Um, and we sometimes they're actually call, um, people who are, you know, take care of a lot of people mother, and it's just, us creating uh, familial units that actually fit our lives and that are not necessarily the nuclear model. Um, so yeah, I think right now people are really interested in knowing like what we do well, what does our joy look like, how can we celebrate um, all that we contribute as, uh, as a community and so I'm really excited to do that. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called I'll also be sharing business bites with you. Simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I offer you some feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Awesome.
1: Um I I want to I I want to chat a little bit or ask some questions around, you know, some of the work that you're talking about with like the uh discrimination and you said you did some training for like medical providers mm. Um because I think that's one that you know our listeners it can be confusing as an HR person or as a leader how should I handle this what should we do what what questions should we be asking that kind of thing and so would love for you to share a little bit about some of the work that you've done there and 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 also some of the facilitation for those medical providers because I think that's just such a critical piece to the
2: puzzle completely yeah I think That's the thing. So people who are in, um, professional or technical roles, your job is to know your job and you don't, and even when you don't know aspects about your job, you seek out professional services, you seek out consulting, you seek thought leaders in that area. I mean, for all of you listening, who do HR, remember the first time you ever had to run, um, payroll or uh, had to ask, you know, about these really technical nitty gritty things, you had to go outside of yourself. You couldn't just make that up and uh, LGBT and inclusion is, is much the same. You don't have to be ashamed that you don't know. It's j- just go out and find someone who does and who can help you and support you in doing that. And so um, some of the things that I've done in the past, um, say for medical professionals, has been, um, you know, I talk about uh, bedside manner, um, about how to um, even just circumventing your, if you say you work for a system that maybe doesn't allow for pronouns or um, preferred names that are not legal names, how you can circumvent that. Like just because your system doesn't, doesn't mean you as a person cannot acknowledge somebody's real identity. And um, pro- pronouns are not preferred, they are just pronouns. And so I think uh, for a long time, we were using the phrase preferred pronouns, and that's fine. We were, we were exploring, we were finding ways to get language to catch up with our lived experiences. And um, I don't begrudge us for being on a path of learning. And so now that we do know, we no longer use the phrasing uh, preferred pronouns, we just say, what are your pronouns? Um, or you can simply say, "How can I best honor you and your identity?" Uh, things like that, and so um, also letting, uh, helping folks highlight maybe where there are policies, conventions, and best practices that are simply passed down to us by convention and maybe arbitrarily created, and so uh, sometimes like the company dress codes. I've I've done a talk where. Uh, somebody was like, well, what do we do? We've got, you know, dress codes for men, dress codes for women. What do we do about non-binary people? And sometimes I have to remind people that like your dress code does not have to be gendered at all. That's right. Yeah. There are ways in which, and, and the thing is like, I get it. People are thinking like, okay, how do we keep adding like new identities to this? And the thing about it is as we move on humans will continue to nuance identity cont- like over and over again so the idea is not how to capture every new gender and every new nuance that's coming out but rather de it so that it's not relevant somebody's gender isn't relevant in when you're talking about how you'd like for the to show up at work simply say um you know professional attire there's also racial and cultural implications to uh to attire and I tell people a lot, the idea of professionalism in the United States is often based in uh, white ideals and um, in Eurocentric uh, ideas. Uh, so when somebody says, okay, you, uh, we want you to dress in professional attire. Somebody might come in from another culture whose idea of professional attire looks very different than what the Western idea is, and we need to make space for that. It's not just about gender, it's about being inclusive a f in every aspect that we can and so um the thing about uh being queer and having queer as my politic is that the true uh politics of queerness are also anti racist we are anti ableist we are um you know uh, anti xenophobic and so Sometimes I'm coming in and I'm talking to people about how to treat their, uh, not just how to treat their LGBT folks, but how to treat their folks inclusively as possible, such that even if somebody is LGBT, they're still captured in, under the umbrella of inclusion. Um, and and yeah, so I've done um, talks with, i a fireside chat with SHRM. So a lot of you HR folks, I'm sure you're familiar with SHRM and the chapter, your local chapter. and um, yeah, I, I you know, just letting people know that it's okay to not know everything and seek out advice. So I'm here for that. There are other people who don't get their flowers who are really good at, at this and industry needs us because industry uh, depends on the capital that humans create and humans will always be nuanced and slightly chaotic and beautifully so. Uh, so, you know, sometimes I come in with, a a narrow scope and I widen that scope intentionally and say like, it's, you know, if we're just talking about LGBT, that's fine, but we can, we can easily talk about inclusion and scalable inclusion, such that as many people feel like they belong as possible, not just these certain groups that you're picking out, because that's also a type of, um, supremacy and bias is just like picking, groups that are top of mind to service when you could really be doing things that are much more sustainable for uh your entire workforce
0: and i'm glad you said that and and i feel like so many people first as they're learning these lessons as you're sharing need to think about themselves a lot of people don't accept themselves and have internalized it which makes it difficult to get those messages and i'm and i'm very appreciative of you of saying um to you for saying it's okay if you don't know it anything. I I know in doing the work, there's people who feel shame, which turns into anger, and it's like, dude, all I said was, and <laughs> like I use she her pronouns. That's all I said, yeah. and you just turned it into this big freaking spiral, like this death spiral. um And I think there's something that you should unravel there, and I I i learned um and i'm i it sounds like you would have learned this in education as well that as you're learning we learned in school that somebody tells you when you're you're successful right like you do a paper you get an a you do this you get an a and in real life the learning comes in those moments when you feel a little "Eh," and it's like congratulations
2: yeah yeah no that's exactly it it's like it Learn real learning happens outside of your comfort zone, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, as a you know, black trans consultant, activist, performer, uh, I don't know how to do my taxes. I, I, oh, I, I, like, I, have, I have to come, it's okay if I have to come to you to know how to do my taxes, which is something that every individual is expected to do, and yet I don't know how to do it, I don't want to know how to do it. So, I seek outside help. And that's it's really just that simple is whenever we don't know, we can seek (laughs) support. That's the whole point of building a community and a knowledge base, a, a diverse knowledge base is so we can rely on each other. This whole idea, Western idea of pull yourself up by your bootstraps, rugged individualism is going to get us in trouble if we don't really take a step and analyze what that means as technology um, advances, as we become more um, digitally connected with other parts of the world, we're also becoming interdependent. Mm -hmm. And we already know this. Like, I mean, even remember in the pandemic when some countries were really deeply in the throes of um, COVID-19, we were finding shortages in things like lumber or, you know, um, I know in special incense from like Vietnam, like things that we had come to enjoy we found that we did not have access to them because the folks who we depend on, who live on the other side of the world, were not in a good way. And so it is a myth that we are a truly independent, that, that you can, I also hate, the um saying pull yourself up by your own bootstraps because not only is it not really realistic it is physically impossible so how did we use <laughs> how are we using that analogy to mean anything when it doesn't right you, you can't possible you cannot pull yourself up by your bootstraps you can't and so like the idea that that is an analogy that is really like affecting people's minds it's like uh, okay i get it i heard that too and i was absolutely i am hyper independent because I am trans and I have, um, you know, concerns that sometimes I am going to be on the margins uh, of the world. And so there are a lot of ways where I'm like, no, I'm going to do it myself. Uh, but that's exhausting and it is not sustainable when, uh, you know, plumbers out there might think like, well, what does this have to do with me? I know lots of tradespeople. There's actually um, a really famous uh, handy woman who's trans. Her her name is Mercury. um, And I got to think of her IG. Um, But you even plumbers can be gender uh, diverse. Uh, Plumbers can be, um, you know, uh, trans. They can be women. They can be differently abled. And so this work around diversity equity inclusion touches everyone and let me just say for all of the plumbers out there again i don't know how to do plumbing at my house and so i will ask you it should be okay for you to ask me about things that you don't inherently know about it's okay we're all in this together i promise i don't plumb
0: i don't well, yeah i said yeah
1: I just and he just said the accounting one is the one i i love because yeah, yeah, I kind really. of pre- pretend i know how to do accounting at times in my accounts like please stop please stop That's touching right. numbers
2: you're making things harder for me right. right but
0: i love that you say that because it's so true because all of a sudden when you say oh i encourage you to read this book to learn more about various culture then somebody will say oh you shamed me you made me feel bad no i did none of those things and then like I remember moving. I live in Waco, Texas, and they said everybody's reading tater tot casserole. And I cried for hours and I was like, I don't belong here because I don't know what a tater tot casserole is. And I'm too embarrassed to ask what a tater tot casserole I still don't. And then I found out what it is. And then I'm like, why is anybody making tater tot casserole? Like it was a whole thing.
2: Okay, well, we might be on different sides of that issue, because when I heard tater tot casserole, I heard tater tots and cheese. And I'm always in for potatoes and cheese together. Same this one had like a cream of chicken so we'll we'll talk about it okay maybe i'm maybe i'm not (laughs) with that then okay yeah it's kind of like
0: it's kind of like hot dish in
1: minnesota i was like i don't understand this like it makes no sense i've heard of hot dish yeah but then it was cheese and and potatoes so yeah which is
2: much different than a hot pot
0: completely
2: different oh yeah we have a hot pot place here which in in richmond we don't have a lot of like you know, um, we're getting better about becoming more worldly, but I am dying to try Chinese hot pot. I'm uh, yes. Oh,
1: it's so good! It's um, so good. Yeah, you'll it looks, love it, it definitely. Like...
2: <laughs> um, let's just talk about food for a while. Let's do that. Let's, <laughs> I could I could absolutely talk about food all day. <laughs> One of the first episodes that Jackie
1: and I recorded was right before Thanksgiving, and we were like, "So, what do you make for the holidays? What do you and we did determine that there are some very different things between a white German Irish oh. household and a, you know, a, a black household of what you make and I still won't make potato salad. So, you know, there's that. <laughs> and
2: again, I am white German on my mom's side and then black country like black North Carolina farmland on my dad's side. So, absolutely we used to do two Thanksgivings and they were quite different. Very, oh, yeah. very different. Oh. Yeah. I um I definitely preferred uh my black thanksgiving a little bit more cuz we just had way more smattering's of like everything so yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Inclusive. Um
1: Okay, so in Virginia yeah. um as you you know as you are, are doing this work and as you're you know so how do you get a statue in in or a you know a a, a recognition such as this? Like how does that happen? How does that come about?
2: Yeah, so I have a mural, um, in the north side. No, no, you're fine. I want a statue. Listen, (laughs) and I'll tell you (laughs) why, because it sounds like it's purely vain, but there's a, there's a, a, a reason why this, I have no shame in like, um, being very open and, uh, you know, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that really quickly, the reason why this was so special to me is that, um, for those of you who don't know, Black trans femmes are um, one of the most uh, violated communities. Per uh, you know, in proportion to their our community size, we are a small community, and yet we receive so much violence, disproportionate amounts of violence. And um, you know, for a long time, I haven't checked in in a while because it's been very depressing. But for the past five or six years. We've, seen, we've constantly broken records on um, fatal uh, violence towards uh, Black trans femmes. Now, trans people in general face a lot of violence, and then when you add being Black to that, then you increase your um, likelihood of violence, and then you add being a femme to that, whether you identify as a woman or the world perceives you as, um, as effeminate, uh, it also, it goes up again. And so uh, I'm 32 years old and uh, there were, there was a lot of, before the data came out and it's still not super clear, but for a long time people were um, spreading the the statistic that um, the average life expectancy in the U.S. for um, Black trans um, women is 35. That is, ac- apparently that is actually uh, the case for um, South America, like Brazil in, in particular. Um, here, it's not super clear, because we don't do a great job of um, polling uh, and having um, cross-sectional data that I where you can identify yourself as Black and trans. Um, and so data is really hard to come by, and that's another epidemic, is how are we supposed to make change in a world that um, demands it, that changes data backed when we can't even get our hands on data and no one cares enough to include us in um, survey, um, data survey. So, um, and so that said, I've always been really afraid of my thirties, um, uh, because I know that, uh, for a lot of people, uh, for those who do receive fatal, um, violence as black trans femmes, a lot of the times it happens between, um, their 32nd and 36th birthday. Um, and so. That's abhorrent. That is not uh, okay. That is, uh, w- I will not stand for that. And so, um, having a mural or having something that is um, could technically be, you know, I mean, look at how long we had those uh, these Confederate monuments in in Richmond, which most, if not all of them, are finally down. Um, and those were around for a really long time. And so say, I say, and
0: disproportionate in Richmond, in, in Virginia as a whole, just like freaking. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah.
2: It's like 60% Black in Richmond pop, uh, proper, which I love. And yeah, when you've got a, and we were considered the Harlem of the South, you know, right. uh, Maggie Walker, um, first Black um, bank president, St. Luke Penny Savers. Um, we have so many, Arthur Ashe, we have so many. Um, a black, we have so much black excellence coming out of Richmond um, that having these monuments that we value more than you know people's feelings goes to show that these these monuments can be can be institutions that withstand the test of time for better or for worse. And so, me having a mural means that maybe just maybe that mural will last longer on this earth than I do. And so that is a form of immortalization to somebody who is hyper mortalized, if you will. And so it means a lot to me, it really does. And um, the way I got a mural is, uh, um, so me and a group of women here in um, Richmond, Virginia, um, my older sister, Chelsea Higgs wise who does a lot of work in uh, cannabis legalization, which is a hot topic here in Virginia, Mm -hmm. um, folks like, uh, Dr. Jana, who is also a, re- a huge in the DEI space and wrote books like um, Subtle Acts of Exclusion. Um, and then this uh, many others, and Nico Cathcart, who is an artist. And we were all um, honored. Well, I'm sorry, we were all asked to come to the uh, bicentennial um, of women's suffrage movement. So this was in 2020. Women gained the right to vote um, in 1920 under the 19th Amendment, and so um, we were celebrating 100 years. And we met in a place where a group of Virginia um, uh, suffragettes met up to uh, demonstrate, and we were honored as uh, the change makers of of you know this era. And so I, because of my work in the trans community, um, and a lot of the work of the other women and femmes who were there. Uh, You know, we got to uh, hear a lot about each other and make build connections, which I always love. And um, Nico, who is this person that I didn't even talk to a lot before that um, reached out to me like about a year after maybe a few months and said, Hey, I'm doing a mural uh, in this neighborhood in Richmond that is highly gentrified. um, And I want this mural to represent the city. Not the neighborhood. I want it to represent the true legacy, and so I would really love if it is somebody of color. And I really, if I'm going to do this mural, I want it to be authentic, and I want it to be, um, yeah, I want it to be like real. So she's, so she's like, I was talking to some people. Your name came up, and I remembered you, and I was like, oh, I'd love to have, you know, uh, a mural of Aurora and uh reached out to me and said hey do you mind if i come take pictures of you in this beautiful floral headdress um and uh use that picture to paint a giant mural and i was like absolutely yes no uh, no uh w- what is the word um i definitely was not uh humble about it or was like no not me or mine i was like absolutely because again i know what that means to have a black trans femme memorialized in this neighborhood that doesn't really have black trans femmes in it and maybe should um and so now my face is is a reminder of the of what this city represents and i i love that and i should not be the last person of color, the last the last femme, the last trans and non-binary person to have a mural or to be memorialized in the city. I want to be the beginning of that movement, not the end. So that's a little bit about. and so me and that artist are actually the ones who are going to be talking at the exhibit uh, on Friday um, and opening the exhibit. And uh, yeah, and her artwork is she painted a smaller portrait of that same mural that's going to be in the exhibit, along with a bunch of other artists. And the whole point of the exhibit is trying to uh, raise resources and awareness for the Equal Rights Amendment to be ratified into the U.S. Constitution. Awesome. So uh, yeah, it's I, 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 love, I love my community. We don't have the best legacy, but because of our past, we're that much more determined to make a brighter future. The Jim Stroud podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud podcast.
1: That's fantastic. I, I, so when is it? You're getting, it's getting revealed this week.
2: Yeah, on the 17th of awesome. February, um, okay. and so, yeah, it's going to be, I, and then right after that, I'm doing uh, a conference for the CAA to talk about how burlesque, uh, the, the session I'm doing is um, play to escape the hell times, and that a lot of us can relate to that. It, it can feel yes. like the hell times or the last few years. And so I get to do these two amazing things back to back. And I am the luckiest person in the world to be able to do this kind of work and to be recognized for my work because so many people who look like me are never recognized for their work.
0: It's super cool. It's going to be a great Friday. I'm excited. This happens. That well, is like, like really I want to cool. see it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm like, okay, how can I get to Richmond?
2: Um, yeah. Well, the exhibit's open until April 2nd, too. So. Just saying, if you're in town, it's going to be up for a while. Um, but yeah, the opening ceremony is on Friday. That's awesome. great.
1: That's great. So uh, burlesque.
2: Yeah, burlesque.
1: Um, I'm a fan, so I would love to hear a little bit about it all. So you said you did drag for a while. I did i did okay i'm in arizona and so obviously the conversation around drag shows became quite a hot button issue for us uh here with the latest round of politics um but would love to hear how you got into drag and then how you transitioned to burlesque because both are amazing
2: yeah so i got into drag because i was a um drag race baby so when rupaul came out with the show drag race um, I watched from season one, I was a hardcore Stan. Um, I don't always love some of the stances that RuPaul takes. However, mm-hmm. I would say that, um, RuPaul is a genius, is a, uh, media mogul and really, um, put, uh, a marginalized, um, art form into the mainstream. And now it is appreciated by so many more people it's gotten so big, so huge, and still a fan of any time queer people are celebrating their art and creativity. And so um, I was getting into drag and I was like, oh, well, I love performing, let me do this. And what I didn't realize is that drag was really, I didn't i didn't love performing in drag as much as I loved just presenting as a femme, which was very new for me. And um, that was my gateway to kind of gender, uh, my gender awakening mm-hmm. and so um, one time so i was doing drag and uh, a burlesque performer uh, so somebody saw me perform and then they their cousin um was a burlesque performer and said hey i told my cousin about you and that's the thing about richmond we were all, like two degrees of separation any one of us um, from the other and um they said uh you know we they'd love to have you host one of their burlesque shows at the speakeasy. And I was like, say less, I heard the word speakeasy, I heard the word uh, burlesque and hosting. So which meant that I didn't have to come up with a number and perform, I could just pre- be myself and present SM, mm-hmm. which was check, check, check for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did that. And while I was there, I was enamored by the art form of burlesque. It is a traditionally effeminate art form that is well, here in Richmond is open to anyone. We actually have um uh a uh, a few um, male identity uh performers, Burt Shafter, Burt Schaefer. I'm sorry if I'm getting that wrong. Um, and and uh, you know, Mr. Blow Your Back out. Sorry, you might have this is kind of burlesque. it's it's sexual, but it's not inherently sexual. It's more of like a wink and a nod and like cheekiness. But burlesque can be so. It can be satirical. It can be political. It can be—it's oftentimes hilarious and humorous. And so, as I was watching this, all of the like dynamism and what how every person brought their own kind of take to this art form, I was I was I was smitten. And so, at that point, I said uh, I met up with a a legend um, in the burlesque uh, scene, uh, Lottie Ellington and i saw her perform um while i was in college and walked up to her and was like i would love to take you to lunch um and just ask you about burlesque and uh she took me under her wing introduced me to some people i ended up doing a my first number was a spice girls tribute where uh, we did a couple of group numbers as the spice girls uh and uh we did a couple of solos and it was so fun so amazing and the thing that really sealed the deal is it was so healing for me as somebody who was discovering their body as a trans person and receiving a lot of like, not necessarily hate, there was some hate, but there's also just kind of like, well, why, like, I don't know. And, you know, I don't, why would you want to do that? Da da da. And also a lot of people saying, well, you don't really look like a trans woman. So like, are you, are you a trans woman? And, you know, I, again, that imposter syndrome set in but the thing about burlesque is as i was revealing more of my body to the audience they were applauding more and there is nothing like being trans and in a body that you feel is ostracized and having people applaud you for showing it and and uh being aware of it and being shameless about it and the other thing i love about burlesque is it is for all bodies it is not for you know the uh Dita Von Tees is, I think, uh, what most people think of when they see mm-hmm. burlesque. And Dita does a very um refined, uh uh Eurocentric type of burlesque, and that is absolutely great. There are so many other types of burlesque out there, and it's not just for these conventionally uh attractive bodies. They're for attractive bodies, no matter if they're conventional or not. They're for fat bodies. They're for slim bodies. They are for, uh, differently abled bodies, uh, and black bodies, white bodies, everything in between and seeing people with every type of body type go up and be loved by the community was so healing. It's so beautiful. And, uh, shout out to AfroTease, my absolute favorite production in the entire world and all of burlesque who does an all, POC, um, tribute to burlesque and, in uh, they do a cookout in the, in the summer, which is, that's just the theme. And then they typically do one in the winter. So I just went to one in January. Absolutely incredible. Um, and if you haven't been to a burlesque show, go to one, don't just look for the ones that look like the Dita Von tee's level, go to your local burlesque performers, uh, performances and ask around if you don't know where that is, you will not be sorry. It is it's unlike anything else and the community, you build a community with the audience at as somebody in the audience and you build community with the performers. It's a, it's, it's beautiful and I can't say enough good things about it.
1: Awesome. Very cool. Okay. So your mural, uh, for those of you who are in Virginia is on MacArthur Avenue yep. in yep. Richmond,
2: yep. Um, in yoga building. Say that again. It's in the uh, the building that it's on. Uh, it's on the side of is the True North Yoga building on MacArthur in the north side um of Richmond. Perfect, awesome.
1: So one of the things we like to do at the the end of our episode is just what is what are one or two things. Uh, Jackie always does like eight, so you know, feel free. I
0: know it's a to, whole thing. It's, it's a whole thing. <laughs>
1: um What are some things that you want to make sure people hear, or you know, things that w- we want to make sure that they get across from this conversation?
2: Yeah. Okay. I'm going to do eight things too, probably Um, support the LGBT community right now because we are under so much political duress. Um, Just like you said, you're in Arizona and there's in in the South. I've heard things in in Texas, too. Luckily, I haven't seen this in Virginia yet, but there are people who are building these phone trees to show up and and pick it. drag queens reading to kids and they're they're shutting down libraries who host these things and people the communities have and, and some communities have funded libraries because their institutionalized funding is taken away um which i think is beautiful but unnecessary i, I think it, i i mean it's children there's nothing inherently sexualized about drag. If anything, (laughs) every, any drag queen will tell you, uh, drag queens are much closer to, um, uh, fun clowns than, uh, than, you know, something that's inherently devious or sexual. And the thing, I think the perception around that is the fact that, um, so we drag had to, um, start in clubs because it was one of the few places that we could, uh, do drag without being arrested it used to be illegal to dress in the opposite gender's clothing so they came up in in clubs and so and you know in clubs sometimes sometimes seedy things happen and some performers are uh hypersexualized but i guarantee you the ones that are have no interest in reading to your children um the ones who uh and they're colorful bright kids love drag, they're bigger, you know, they're huge personalities. They remind them of their favorite, you know, uh, superhuman or otherworldly characters. And I think that there's so much to be gained um, in, uh, in not creating that uh, barrier. Uh, so uh, support local drag, support local local burlesque, support mutual aid in your local communities as well. Again, they're in a world where we think we can't we're not helping unless we're giving hundred dollars to someone across the world. you can give ten or twenty dollars to someone on your street and make their and change their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can uh, share resources. If you're in uh, legal or HR, share look into uh, areas of your profession, of your industry that that are uh, about inclusion, diversity and equity. And and try to build as much knowledge as you can, or find people who can um, teach you. And do do your work with an inclusive and equity lens. It's really important. We all have a stake in this work. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say uh, remember that uh, Black Lives Matter. We are still, as a just as a Black community, let alone in a trans community, we're still um, suffering uh, at the hands of institutionalized and state violence. And so uh, figure out what you can do to support your communities that way. And um, go do some fun stuff that are, you know, go see a drag show, go, go to a burlesque show. Not every uh, form of activism is storming the streets or inherently angry or unhappy. There are ways in which we get together just to be joyous uh, that are also forms of activism, and forms of community um, equity building. And uh, yeah, if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me as a person. I'm happy just to kind of, you know, give what I can. Um, and if I can't, then I'll either say that or I'll direct you somewhere that may be um, that maybe can help you so just don't be afraid dive in wherever you can we all have a job and uh yeah it's uh it's a good time i promise you you will not regret it
0: awesome jackie i think itself what i want people to take away is like like explore yourself it's a version of self-care absolutely um, take the time to get to know, quit trying to put yourself into the binary because you can't be your true self by trying to put yourself into these boxes mm-hmm. and uh, to do what you can with what you have and the time that you have. Um, nothing is too small because for some, it's a matter of life and death.
2: I, it, it oftentimes is a matter of life and death, and that's the thing. Um, and no one deserves to die because they're being their authentic self. That's
0: right. that's
2: right
1: um i'm gonna kind of piggyback on what both of you said i think you know right now there are i don't even know how many um bills and you know legal action being taken in different states across the u.s um to discriminate against the entire lgbtq community but specifically the transgender community Uh, go understand what those things are in your community uh go and actually look them up and Give money where you can to folks that are fighting some of this completely ridiculous legislation. Um and yes, go to a drag show. Um and you know, and I the 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 folks are dressing in drag and going to libraries to read to children, I agree with you wholeheartedly. It is such a fun and funny and entertaining for the kids, and there is no sexual component to it in any way, shape, or form. And yes, there are drag shows that are not kid friendly. And yeah. that
0: is that's is okay too.
1: Right. Um as a parent as, as
2: up so that your yeah,
1: and usually your them. child
0: is asleep when those things right. are right. exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: um and so I think that's the other part too is you'll find those opportunities where you can have them exposed to uh drag queens because I think that it it is exactly like you said, it is a a costume, a show, and such an amazing, like I, you both know this, like the makeup alone. I'm like, I I've my I have no idea how you do that That (laughs) but I, I think those are some of the things that are just really really important and yes it's it's a show up where you can to support these communities um and go to Richmond Virginia and look at a very very cool mural
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, just to, uh, like, if you do want to reach out to me, if you want to contact me, my email is Aurora Higgs, H I G G S speaks at gmail.com. My Instagram is Aurora. Who is she? I put up a lot of, um, you know, just kind of photos of myself, uh, selfies, but also a lot of mutual aid campaigns. And so if, um, you are interested in following me in my life, um, feel free to find me, uh, on those two, uh, channels. Awesome. Perfect. Aurora, thank you so much for being here
1: and, and chatting with us. Um, we, we love having these conversations cause I think it also just the exposure to, and very like we talk about the fact, Jack and I talk about the fact that we're just having conversations with folks. Yeah. And I think there still is this mystery or, you know, ignorance around you know what is it like to talk to someone who is trans or what is it you know who is in this community and that kind of thing, and and you know these conversations are so critical that uh, you know, I, one of my friends, Angela, she says, you know, we're just very boring. We're not as exciting as everyone thinks. We are. Right.
2: No, we are not like an alien creature. Some of us are so boring. I'm not, I'm very, right. simple, but I reserve the right to be boring. And I yeah. am a grandma on the, is this Victorian lace collar kind of should tell you as much. <laughs> um, yeah, we are not, you know, we're just, we're people too. So, yes. you know, let us live. absolutely
1: absolutely all right uh this is the inclusive af podcast this is katie
0: van horn and this is jackie clayton Bye. bye